0: begin with a short piece of a poem by T.S. Eliot Quick Now Here Now Always a condition of complete simplicity costing not less than everything So what does it mean, a condition of complete simplicity? Does it mean that in order to be free, in order to be liberated, to be free from suffering, that we have to give up everything, that we have to let go of our life, give up our life? Does it mean that in our life just as it is in any given moment either off the cushion or on the cushion that freedom is impossible unless we live in some very extreme austere way the simplicity of here, now always means really uh, the simplicity of simply being in this moment, at this time, right now, with things directly, just as they are, not in some imagined way, not in the way of Seeing things, being with things through the sometimes many, many layers of conditioning, the many veils of conditioning that have accumulated over time. This complete simplicity. of being with, seeing things just as they are now here in any moment, in this moment is truly actually possible in any moment a moment of a breath a moment of presence in the body the body as directly experienced sensation. Even in a moment of clear presence in the arising of a moment of anger. The cost T.S. Eliot says, costing not less than everything. The cost, which is actually also the payoff, so to say, is, is the release. The releasing of all of the old conditioned ways. The filters, the veils that keep us imprisoned keep us imprisoned in our narrow, constricted relationship to this constantly unfolding, constantly changing miracle of life. It means the release, the letting go of the suffering that's inherent in our habit, our conditioned habits, of constantly creating, becoming, reinforcing the very painful sense of a separate, static, seemingly solid self. So the cost, in that sense, is not less than everything in a certain way. and it is the payoff also a release from the prison of that very painful experience of separation, separate selfness. Just a week ago, I returned from um, a nine day. Uh, teaching and participating in a nine-day wilderness backpacking retreat in the High Sierra in California. And there were 15 of us uh, backpacking, walking, sitting, sleeping, eating, taking turns preparing meals, cleaning up, bathing in the mountain streams. 15 of us surviving and living together for nine days on this wilderness retreat, with a very deepening and growing sense of our interconnectedness, what Thich Nhat Han calls our interbeing, with each of us having variations of that experience daily many times daily in this environment that we were in this constantly changing environment that we were in the environment itself and our constant movement in it within it it was a very uh, challenging and very amazing uh, experience those nine days for each of us and in our own particular ways according to our own particular Conditioning our own particular, what I call, karmic predicaments. Which faced us quite clearly many times in those nine days. In that environment, high in the mountains, with uh, no other humans most of the time, lots of other life, but not human life, We were challenged over and over and over again. Challenged to notice and to step out of our habituated sense of who and how we imagined ourselves to be. We were faced again and again with our self-imaginations on many levels. we were often quite willing uh, to see through them. Necessity dictated that we see through them, many of the times. Uh, And sometimes, although it didn't seem absolutely necessary, we chose to see through them. Um, It's a place of uh, suffering when we don't take a look we were living so closely together and so uh, dependent interdependent on each other that that was one of the conditions that forced us uh, or strongly encouraged us I should say to take a look to see through and the amazing very amazing mirror of this constantly changing natural world all around us, was the uh, other huge condition that told us to keep looking through and not get stuck looking at. We grew more and more into this mirror of the constantly changing natural world around us. We grew more and more into it. And knowing more and more directly, knowing more experientially, it's mirroring of our own nature, our own nature as nature. Great teacher. Our practice in whatever forms it takes at any time is um, truly, I think, the most intimate experience of our life. This intimate experience with our self, which, as it unfolds, becomes the deepest intimacy with all of life, with all things, all life. We meet the reflection of our self, not the self that we think we are ordinarily or usually, or who we would like to become, that self we would like to become. But we meet in this most intimate experience, the reflection of our self, the true uh, face of our self so to say, not as it has appeared in the mirror uh, at least up until a given moment when we begin or we maybe in just a moment see our true nature, our original face it's sometimes called. And this can happen in any moment of our life in any form of practice I'd like to uh, share a poem with you called Love After Love One day you will with elation greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror each will smile at the other's greeting saying, sit here, eat You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your image from the mirror. Sit, feast, feast on your life. We probably, many of us think that uh, the best way to practice uh, is in an intensive retreat setting where we sit and walk and sit and walk and sit and walk. But one of the things that I kept being reminded of and kept connecting uh, with in a very deep way over and over again on this backpacking retreat as did others in our group, that over the centuries, practice actually um, was done in a very similar way, more often uh, to the, uh, than uh, sitting in a building. In fact, that's a rather new invention, uh, intensive uh, sitting and walking retreats inside a building. But practice has been done for centuries by people wandering in the wilderness, either individually or in groups, uh, with teachers, without teachers. Men, women, wandering in the wilderness, engaged in survival in that uh, natural world, and practicing, paying attention. Practicing that most intimate of possibilities. Coming to know oneself completely. No parts left out, so to say. So we were connecting with ancient practice. Ah. Ah. And it wasn't easy, because we're used to the um, privilege, actually, more often the privilege of sitting in a building and being taken care of. I kept uh, thinking about this retreat, not all the time, but it kept coming up occasionally while we were practicing for those nine days, while we were wandering in the wilderness and practicing. I kept thinking of the family retreat, partly because I was coming here next, and partly because I also um, connected with the fact that, also for centuries, the lay community all over the Buddhist world has practiced and continues in various ways to practice in the midst of family life, the midst of daily life. In fact, there are stories uh, in in the ancient texts about People in their family life becoming enlightened in the midst of their daily duties. People practiced very diligently in family life for centuries. It's new in our culture to begin to engage and integrate our practice this way, but it's not new in the world at all. So, as the 15 of us were traversing the challenging terrain of the wilderness world, occasionally I thought about the practice of traversing the challenging terrain of family life and parenting. Uh, It's equally uh, as much a challenge with all of its beauties, joys, delights, difficulties. And it is a very powerful mirror, all the parts of it, uh, for our own conditioned responses, reactions. And in a sense, um, as was the backpacking nine-day retreat, family life, daily life, parenting life is like a magnified it's like a magnifying glass condenses uh, if we're willing to look uh, all of our habits and all of our possibilities children being one of the most profound mirrors in this process I think that at least some of us or maybe all of us at times um, have assumed that the specific factors or uh, conditions we might say qualities of mind um, of heart that lead to waking up that lead to the deepest understanding are really only available available to and present within uh, those that live in a very secluded very austere uh, way maybe even just for those that um, go so far as to become monks and nuns or maybe those that get to do lots of intensive practice retreats um, sitting and walking and uh, over many months that those whatever the qualities are or the factors that um, lead to really truly waking up to enlightenment what are called the factors of enlightenment in the teachings aren't available to um, anybody just anybody unless you live in a particular um Secluded way. But that's just uh, an imaginary thought. It doesn't have anything to do with reality. I'd like to look with you at these particular qualities, these particular factors factors of enlightenment as I mentioned they're called in the classical teachings because they're um, right with you right now the first factor is mindfulness they may be out of order in terms of the way they're classically listed but that's okay the first factor that I'd like to look at with you is mindfulness, which is really the um, the overall sort of mama, daddy, grandpa, grandma, uh, uh, caretaker, overall bottom line factor of all of 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 them. There are seven altogether, and it's uh, something that we have talked about in various ways these last few days, and then I know you've heard about at other times, this quality of attention, mindfulness, the quality of being aware of what's happening in the moment, the quality of not letting the mind be forgetful. It's another way to look at it. What is it really? It's become a fairly common word in a lot of ways in our language. Which is wonderful and at the same time uh, it's commonly used in a way that to some degree may dissipate the potency, the potency of it. It's a very powerful factor in our process of waking up. Mindfulness is a particular relationship to experience. It's a non-judging, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting orientation to the present moment, to any and every present moment, potentially. That's quite an amazing relationship to the present moment, which is not so easy, but we have to, so we practice it, a non-judging, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting orientation to the present moment. It's an orientation to the present moment's experience, to just what's happening in the present moment, that um, creates a great deal of spaciousness, openness, receptivity of heart, of mind. And in that receptivity, openness, spaciousness, there's a calmness. in that present, presence in the present moment, that in a very natural way, just because of those qualities, this factor of mindfulness, wisdom very naturally, understanding, deep, true understanding, very naturally arises. It inevitably arises. We don't have to do anything to make it happen. the truth is right in that moment of presence. It's nowhere else. It's always available. It's nothing we have to get or try to attain. So costing not less than everything... might mean that we let go of our ideas as to mind and body, experience. Let go of our ideas about that. And just simply practice presence, be present. The mindful relationship to the moment in itself, is an expression of the truth. The Buddha said that he knew of no other factor which was as powerful as mindfulness for the cultivation of what he called wholesome states of mind and the diminishing of unwholesome states of mind. No other factor which is as powerful as mindfulness for waking up to the truth of our heart, the truth of the nature of things, which is a wholesome, healthy, the healthiest place we can live in and out of. And that um, factor, this factor of mindfulness is available to us any moment, wherever we are, it doesn't matter. The second factor, the second quality of mind, of heart. And I uh, i often use the words heart and mind interchangeably. Actually, in many Asian languages, um, the, the same word is uh, heart, mind, mind, heart. And my teacher, Upandita, a Burmese teacher, said once... Um, In a Dharma talk, he said, I've been checking for a long time. He's, I don't know, somewhere, I think in his early 70s right now, he's been a monk since he's been about eight years old. And he said, I've been checking for a long, long time. And he said, everything begins and ends here. And he kind of patted his chest, his heart area. He said, most people think it all begins and ends up here. But I've been checking and it it all begins and ends right here. So um, I started checking. <laughs> it seems like that's true. So I use those words interchangeably. The second um, quality of heart, of mind, is interest. Interest uh, is sometimes spoken of as interest, energy, effort, all kind of woven together quite recently my youngest son who's 31 um, and has a year and a half old child told me um, that the most important and most interesting thing in his whole life and that he seems to have found as yet in his whole life, up, up to his up to this thirty-one years, is um, his experience and his uh, wife's experience. Both both of them feel this way, both individually and together, in um, raising their son, their year-and-a-half-old son. He said he's never found anything so interesting. Ah. Oh my sense is that um, probably many of us in this room feel that way, at least at times (laughs) that it is the most interesting thing we are doing it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating and it's great material for waking up so the interest factor is there It's there a lot of the time. Interest breeds energy. If we're interested, we have energy for that moment of interest. There's a lot of energy there. And the effort involved when there is a really... Uh, strong interest, and the energy that goes with that is usually, not always, but usually fairly balanced. We often have to learn, though, both in our daily life and uh, practice in daily life and our sitting on the cushion practice, how to balance that effort so that there's just enough, not too much, not too little. And when I uh, think about it in terms of my own experience, it's not about efforting, that, that sort of striving, efforting uh, uh, quality that we all know. Which actually, in that uh, relationship, to any given moment is a contraction around that moment that efforting quality, it's a kind of grabbing and contraction within our physical being, our mind ah. and there's no space to be there to see clearly so it isn't efforting but it's this balance that we, we really know inside of ourselves that we can feel it's almost like there's no sense of trying but there's a lot of energy and interest and we're there. And when, that's, uh, when that happens in, in, at times in our life we know it. And we learn as we pay attention to with this overriding factor of mindfulness to relax a little bit when there's the contraction of efforting to maybe give it a little more attention when there's not enough energy. Look a little more clearly. Take a breath, open, and pay more attention to bring up the energy, open up the interest. Really the effort is about... um, simply being aware, the effort to simply be aware, to simply be mindful. The next uh, quality of heart, of mind, is investigation. Exploration. The interest and energy and mindfulness to actually look and see what's truly happening. Not what we think is happening, or what we imagine is happening, or what we hope is happening, or not happening, but what is actually occurring. And it's not with thought that we investigate, that we explore. Not on the conceptual level of thought. But with uh, this place of non-judging, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting orientation to the present moment. In that place of spaciousness of mind. How is this happening? How is it working? It's a kind of intuitive relationship of experiencing it, experiencing what's happening um, directly. Not trying to uh, analyze it or figure it out. And often it's um, nonverbal. Sometimes spoken about as preverbal experience. And again, uh, I find found my children find my grandchildren really great teachers in that kind of direct exploration or investigation of the moment, just being there. And they're uh, often, uh, especially young children, um, direct connection and involvement, um, and often don't have the words. But there's um, clearly a process of exploration going on and understanding, nonverbal and maybe preverbal understanding of what's happening. Tremendous learning going on. So, so far the first three qualities, mindfulness, interest, energy, effort, all kind of one, and investigation, exploration, not something foreign to our life, not something that um, we can only uh, touch or experience in some um, other setting. The fourth a quality of heart, of mind, is concentration. This uh, focusing power of our attention. The gathering in of this uh, energy of our attention or potential energy that's so often scattered and dispersed in so many different directions. The ability to bring our attention into just one point, in one moment. We don't have to look ahead to the next 10 or 20 or hour or days, but just in one moment, bringing our attention in, gathering in all of this dispersed energy. It's a great power of mind. And we do it all the time, actually. We're called on... um, in our, in our parenting to do it over and over and over again it's a necessity it's one of those uh, circumstantial necessities to gather in to a very focused place a lot of the time and it might just be for moments at a time but many times so we practice it a lot we practice it a lot I think we don't think we do though What we do. When we're sitting, um, using breath or sound or sensations in the body as the focus of attention, we have to do it over and over again because in a split second or in five minutes or in three breaths, our attention is gone but the more we notice that it's gone or every time we notice that it's gone actually um, it's back again in that moment of noticing and so the, the focusing power this power of attention of one pointedness is strengthened every time we notice that it's gone off because then it's back again so instead of criticizing ourselves or sitting there in the, in the mire of expectation, um, judging ourselves, uh, we can be happy that we've noticed it because we're back again in that very moment. And it is uh, strengthening that muscle, so, so to say, of the power of bringing the attention back again. in that moment or moments or however long we are focused, there is a sense of ease in that. You feel there's a relaxation in that. There's a sense of uh, a calmness, a kind of stillness inside. Resting for a moment in a breath, resting for a moment in something your child is speaking to you or uh, touching you or walking as you're walking with yourself, with your child resting in that activity, resting in that energy resting in that moment of presence and we all know that there's, there's a a kind of ease and calm that we like, we like that And along with that comes a kind of joy. And I I mentioned this morning in the parent group about being with my granddaughter. um, It had nothing much to do, I I spoke about a joy, a kind of uh, uh, big uh, joy and sometimes a big pure joy Uh, that doesn't really have anything to do with what we're doing. But it has to do with the presence that focus of attention and being with directly uh, her in the relationship. The joy is in the presence. The joy is in that moment of focused presence. There's a kind of lightheartedness. A kind of receptivity. And the interest is... Um, often um, fed whatever the circumstance is there's a willingness in that place of uh, being with, a willingness to expand a willingness to open and um, be in a less uh, contracted place, be in a much larger perspective and there's joy in that, there's a great it might not be jumping up and down joy, it might be but there's, it's more of an ease of joy an ease of um, delight in the teachings uh, the classical teachings it's called rapture and sometimes we feel it in our body there's a kind of tingling sometimes we feel goosebumps when we're uh, in that place we've all felt it um, kind of energy running through our body it's a very physical feeling often. It's very pleasurable. That's one of the factors of enlightenment. So we have mindfulness as the overriding sort of overall factor. Our interest, energy, the effort in effort in that, the natural effort in that. And the quality of investigation, of exploration. And the focusing of our attention. Which, as that uh, power increases, it allows us to be present more often. And to see more clearly. They go hand in hand. The calm and the sort of ease of body and mind and the joy that comes with that, with the interest and the ease of simply being present, all um, feed each other. It's this process of uh, kind of like a snowball. It all feeds itself and each other. All factors of waking up available to us at any given moment in any given place any experience. The last factor the last quality is equanimity or balance of mind. Balance of heart and even-mindedness. And I sometimes um, think of this and actually when I give instructions sometimes as I think I did this morning I say sitting like a mountain. I think of a mountain that uh, there's so much happening on a mountain. Life uh, uh, being born and dying and um, all kinds of Uh, weather, uh, storms, and sunshine, and heat, and cold, and uh, all kinds of creatures with different energies running all around on it, um, burrowing into it, eating off of it, Uh, and the mountain just sits there, it just sits there, and all of this life is happening. So when I say sitting like a mountain, that's kind of the image that eh, doesn't have to be such a, as you're sitting there, there's just a sense, doesn't have to be a real uh, uh, intellectual uh, play of images, but just a sense of that strength, that simple presence, that just being with all that's going on. That place of balance, equanimity. that place of unwavering presence that we experience every now and then. It's important um, in our practice, in our life, daily life practice, family practice, and in our formal sitting practice to um, notice these qualities. Noticing them actually um, waters the seeds of their presence and helps them grow. Thinking that they're never or hardly ever available or present um, doesn't help them grow. So it's important to notice them and appreciate their presence when it's there. no matter what the terrain of our practice, the wilderness uh, of the mountains and rivers, uh, the naturalness, uh, the natural world of the mountains and wilderness, or the uh, seemingly wilderness and natural world of our family life, our parenting life, our relationship life. All of these qualities of heart, of mind, are very close. They're so close, they're right here, within us. To be seen, to be developed, to be appreciated. At any given moment, I'd like to close um, with a poem by Mary Oliver. It's called The Buddha's Last Instruction. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha before he died. I think of this every morning as the east begins to tear off its many clouds. Clouds of darkness. To send up the first signal, a white fan streaked with pink and yellow, violet, even green. An old man, he lay down between two solitaries, and he might have said anything, knowing it was his final hour the light burns upward it thickens and settles over the fields around him the villagers gathered and stretched forward to listen even before the sun itself hangs disattached in the blue air I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life. And then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills like a million flowers on fire. Clearly, I'm not needed. Yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. Slowly, beneath the branches, he raised his head. He looked into the faces of that frightened crowd. The villagers gathered around him. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha, before he died. Sit together for a moment. quick, now, here, now, always, a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything.